Hey, Super Dave here, coming at you from Prague Warts. Thank you for joining me. I am now going to finally get around to my much-promised and my much-anticipated, maybe, <laughs> second part of my top 20 Prague albums of 2023, and this is going to cover the top 10, numbers 10 through 1. So you get to finally find out what my favorite album of the year is, as well as the other nine that come in there. Some of these might surprise you if you've listened to me at all in the last several months or years on my podcast versions some of these will not regardless every single one of them is a top tier amazing album that i highly recommend you check out if you have not listened to them yet absolutely get off your ass and go listen to them i don't know what you're waiting for they are all amazing so at this point in time what i'm not going to do is bore anybody with my methodology and how i pick the albums or any of the internal conflicts or thoughts i had in the process of picking them you can, if you have not already watched part one of this, you can watch it now. But in there, I will go over the methodology. It's already been talked about. Not going to bore anybody with it at this point in time. If you haven't done part one yet, go finish that first and come back here for part two and see how the top 20 finishes out. All I will say, it was an amazing year for Prague music. It was tough. But here are my top 10 Prague albums of 2023. Starting at number 10, August, The Approbation. Well, say I hope I got that right. I think I did. At least Simon, I think, <laughs> approved my pronunciation. Um, one thing is I mentioned previously that it's been a stellar year. It's been a big year for stellar debuts, really, uh, of new bands coming out with just albums that just knock it out of the park first time around. And this is one of those. Uh, this is such a solid collection of songs. Honestly, even like picking a favorite among them was difficult because they were all so consistently good that, that they prevented one another from standing out. The whole album is just a great uh, collection of music. Um, and really, it's an impressive and seamless blend of, of modern progressive influences, uh, particularly Porcupine Tree and Opeth. Honestly, those are pretty much in the DNA of this album and kind of honestly, the band members themselves, I think, I mean, not really. I mean, I don't mean to suggest that uh, Michael Eckerfeld or Stephen Wilson are their parents, at least not that I know of. Hmm. Anyway, no, I don't think so. Anyway, the story behind this album, how it was self-produced in a cabin in remote parts of Norway is honestly just so amazing and so cool um, that I, I that in and of itself is noteworthy. But the album in and of itself, the music bursts of atmospheric melancholy paired with crushing riffs and just memorable melodies and everything. It's uh, just really was quite the surprise it it hit out of the blue and for just coming out the gates for a young band it's it's pretty amazing work so number 10 okrust the approbation coming in at number nine the anchorette it all began with loneliness now these two albums are probably going to always be linked in my mind so there's probably a little bit intention behind ranking them so closely together and i i think it it a number of reasons for that uh, that they these two will always be linked in my mind one you know simple fact like they both begin with a they both came out around the same time 
Um, on their album covers, there's a somewhat similar color palettes. You know, that's the simple stuff. Uh, the other part really is, is there are similar stylistic approaches to these, and you can hear similar roots and influences on display. Uh, and of course, I also interviewed members of both bands uh, very close together. So there's a lot of reasons these are always going to be linked with one another from my mind. And my mind likes to pair things up like that for some reason. But both of them primarily are top-notch debuts with really interesting stories behind their creation and their production. Where the Anchorette difference uh, differs mostly is the way it blends in jazz influences. And of course, they get extra points for throwing a saxophone in there because saxophones seem to be an instrument that had disappeared from rock music music for a while. And so it's it's made a bit of a comeback this year. And I don't know if that's just because I've heard the right things and it's always been there or if something just happened and the time was right for saxophone to come back. But that's the biggest difference between the two. And also the part to, for me that makes the story with the anchorette is seeing how the album has been so well received and all the support that has been shown to uh, band leader, head man, Ed Levisky uh, on social media has really been heartwarming. Cause when you think of it with the origin of the album and how it was created and the title, it all began with loneliness and it's come to community. And that's been really cool to see in real time. I got to say, I love that part of it. All right. Coming in at number eight, a Canadian duo Crownlands, Fearless. This would be their second album, second studio album anyway. And honestly, can you believe the music that's coming out of this is really just two people, which boggles my mind. But on this album, they really, really seem to be hitting their stride. Um, yeah, they may be wearing their influences a little bit more on their sleeves than some of the other young bands I've talked about. Um, and of course, you know, I can really say I don't mind hearing those influences or knowing about those influences when one of them is clearly Rush, especially 70s Rush, but also the fact that they're Tolkien fans, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings and all that. I'm a big Tolkien nerd, so that part we connect, obviously. But this also just, you know, pushes all the right geek buttons for me. Uh, the music really has a power and immediacy to it that was just, in my experience, immediately impactful. Uh, whether it's the, the multi-movement epic, epicness of Starlifter or the more straight-ahead 70s-styled hard rock of The Shadow or maybe the grand mysticism that you hear in Lady of the Lake. It, honestly, the album feels like a journey worthy of a high fantasy novel. And I found that it reveals a little bit more to me on every subsequent listen. So great job guys on that one, especially second time around. Hopefully we've got more coming real soon down the road. All right. Coming in at number seven, one that took me by surprise because I didn't know they existed. It's not the first album, but the band is called Lalu and the album is the fish who wanted to be King. This album from the huge opening vocals of forever digital uh, to the funk meets prog meets fusion closer the wandering wondering kind not wandering <laughs> the wondering kind um this album really is just a such a cool unique stew of influences 
and and honestly a joy to listen to uh, in a similar sense that uh moon safari is, is a very upbeat album this is the other album that i had mentioned before would be in our top 20 it just seems like a celebration of music uh it just exudes a sense of pure enjoyment on the part of the band and it is completely infectious uh, even when they get a little silly with the uh, 80s tinge, is that a London number? The uh, the really impressive prog and musical chops of this band are front and center. And yet somehow uh, they've st- they've like managed to, to take these influences and styles and flourishes that in and of themselves are retro. And they put it into a package that is thoroughly modern sounding. Uh, one of my favorite discoveries of the year. And honestly, it's just it's. Ebullient was the word I used when I talked about Moon Safari. This one, too, it just lifts my mood to hear it. They just seem to be having such a great time, and it just sounds so positive. All right, number six, No Spoon, Opus. So here is the third of the stellar debuts I talked about that blasted into my top ten and landed on a lot of year-end lists, uh, top 20 or new groups and things like that. Uh, I've seen it, and I'm sure there are plenty more than just the ones that I've seen. Uh, This is also another album that fit in one of those running themes that went through my top 20, uh, which is that it was a long time coming. Ten years, actually, it took them to produce this album. And honestly, I think the long gestation period really actually contributed to and benefited to this sounding like such a masterful, assured and pristine piece of work. Uh, this is a conceptual album in, in the grand style, telling a story, a self-contained story, filled with characters and a mystery, and even in the end, giving the listener a little bit of something to ponder in terms of life lessons. Uh, and it's just absolutely flabbergasting to me to think that this is their debut album. Uh, granted, they worked on it for 10 years, so they've had a lot of time to think about this and put something together together really solid. If anything, unlike the other two debuts where I hear more Opeth and Stephen Wilson type music, this one, I think, very much has roots in Dream Theater and Haken and other prog metal influences similar to those. Uh, and at times, even there are flourishes and moments in the album that totally bring me to Dream Theater's own opus, Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory. And when you're getting compared to that, that's a hell of a place to be starting. Absolutely unadulterated musical chops, top-tier vocal performance by Phil Rich throughout, and catchy as it all is immediately, it gets even better on repeat listens. Uh, The biggest problem these guys are going to have, honestly, is following this one up. So... Good luck, guys. Just, you know, do me a favor. Don't take another 10 years if you could. That'd be cool. All right. Coming in at number five. This, of course, is one that's landing on a lot of year-end lists, and deservedly so. Peter Gabriel, I.O. So I'm going to be honest. You know, in my life history, I have always been, I guess, what you would call more of a casual Peter Gabriel fan than a serious Peter Gabriel fan. Uh, I've, I always liked his, his early stuff that I heard as singles played on the radio and things like that pre so. And of course, uh, I do own a copy of so that was the first and to this date only still 
album of his I have purchased. I should get around to purchasing this one, but I've listened to it in the streaming. But so is the only thing I own an actual copy of. And it, honestly, by the time he got around to a lot of his post, so work, I, yeah, it didn't ring a bell for me at that time. So I didn't follow it closely, although I'm going back and kind of making up for that era. Um, and I didn't ever see him live until for the first time this past September. So I've always admired and always enjoyed Peter Gabriel's work, both with Genesis and solo. And yet I never dug that deeply into him. So this album though, I spent a bit of time with this album is really, really solid in a lot of ways overall in of itself, maybe not as purely impressive musically as I think it is with the combination of music and lyrics. I think in this case, having a lyric sheet in front of you is very much key to getting the full benefit and enjoyment of this album. And in many ways, I do honestly wonder if it was intended to, to be his swan song, his final album. I mean, if you think about it, given, given the man's age, there's, there's no guarantee that we're going to get another album from him, whether it was intended or not. But the depth of introspection and reflection uh, on display really enhances the music and I think adds more impact to it and vice versa when you've got the lyrics in front of you. Uh, it, it's alternately joyful and at times melancholy, maybe a bit bittersweet is a better word to describe it. Uh, he, he muses uh, upon the meaning of life and interpersonal connectivity and, and his and our impacts on one another in this world that we live in and this life we go through. And it just the reflection uh, that he is going through as he's writing about this stuff and singing about this stuff really strikes me as a man uh, who's taking stock of his existence as his mortality is becoming ever more present in his mind. Um, repeat listenings absolutely are important in picking up all the layers that are going on here in this album. The, the production is pristine as well. Um, but honestly, for me at least, there is no denying the immediacy of Road to Joy, which is one of my favorite songs, not just of the year, but of his career. Just a really, really great song to put in there and, and in and of itself really makes the album a lot of fun. All right, coming in at number four, Riverside. ID Entity or Identity, however you like to pronounce it. I believe that Mario's Duda goes with the first, if I'm not mistaken, but I think it's kind of interchangeable from what I call. Uh, in speaking with Mario's myself earlier this year, in the early very parts of this year, um, he was saying he really on this album wanted to stretch the band's uh, musical palette in new directions with this album. And really, I honestly think he achieved that goal in spades and at the same time didn't lose the core of what Riverside is and what we've known of them over the years. Um, this wasn't a departure, you know, in the style of, say, from drama to 90125 uh, for Yes Was. Uh, it certainly moved the band away from their prog metal comforts into some more, uh, some more pop-oriented and pop-influenced styles, um, but did so without abandoning their proggy ways altogether. Songs like Friend or Foe and Self-Aware 
uh, were just bursting with immediate hooks and, and energy that really kind of lifts the room, especially when played live. They were on fire when I saw them live that night and just so much energy and the crowd was so into it. It was really uh, one of the best nights of concerts I saw in the past year. And, it, and at the same time, they didn't crowd out or, you know, push out time for songs that were more typical of their back catalog, especially, you know, in the traditional Riverside Fair, like the epic, The Place Where I Belong, uh, which brings in all kinds of 70s influenced in your face progginess uh, that you can sometimes tend to expect from the band. So for me, I think the expansion into uh, the less prog territory into something a little bit more pop oriented, or at the very least, a little more mainstream oriented, uh, stretching their boundaries in that way actually is progressive for them because they're challenging themselves to do something different. And I, for one, really dug it. And I hope they continue to do that and push themselves into new territory on future albums because, you know, this one, this time around, really stood out as, as one of their better albums, I would say. All right. Coming in at number three, Tesseract, War of Being. All right. So right off what an amazing album. Honestly, it seemed like Tesseract had been somewhat uncertain or, or maybe a little tentative with Sonder. I may be trying to figure out where they were going to go with their sound, whether they were going to stick with the more complex stuff or, or start to go a little bit more towards their mainstream side of things. Um, but with this collection, no, they came roaring back with full-on gent-styled prog metal hammers you with epic riffs and then soothes you with gorgeous almost ambient at times passages and throughout the whole thing you've got daniel Tompkins' amazing vocals giving us the full scope of what he can do from the clean vocals the high the high highs the the harsh vocals whether screaming whether growling he he does it all on this album and it is all so dramatically presented it just seems like they they really put it all on the table for this go around um and it's everything i could hope a tesseract album at this time probably could be I, it just i can't imagine them doing it much better than this album so uh, right now it seems to me the extended time between albums it's gone five years since Sandra came out um really gave them some time to cook up something glorious and really put a lot into it. So again, albums benefiting from an extended time off period or an extended development period as a, it's a big thing this year. Um, oh, and by the way, they made a video game with it too, because why not? It's what you do, right? <laughs> anyway. All right. Coming in at number two, as we approach the top Earthside, let the truth speak. Speaking of albums that were a long time in coming, uh, Earthside took eight years between albums to get their second album out, this one. Now, they, granted, they faced a lot of challenges along the way, uh, not the least of which was COVID, which everybody pretty much has had to deal with in the last several years. But a number of other things where it seemed like for a while they were almost snake bit. If you actually want more details on that, go check out my interview uh, with Jamie from Earthside, and he'll tell you a little bit more about that, a little more detail. Uh, but he has, he said they wanted to make this album the perfect Earthside album, the perfect representation of what they could do and the sound they could make 
Uh, I'd be surprised if anybody thinks they came up short in that goal. Uh, it's just a grand, grand stew of influences and styles blended into what is actually a cohesive whole, more cohesive than it probably has a right to be. <laughs> the production is is nearly flawless, and the list is just taken from one epic track after another to another. Uh, some of them with heavy orchestral flavors, some of them with very gent-influenced prog metal stylings, and even bringing in some jazz fusion worthy of earth, wind, and fire at their best, if that's not, you know, like heretical for me to say. Uh, but it, it is just a, 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 an amazing journey of an album. There's something, I think, for almost everyone to enjoy in this collection, yet it's all unmistakably Earthside doing it. Uh, truly, a, a, what I would call a grand musical journey. So here we are. We are now reaching number one. I'm going to bet a lot of you can probably guess what it is at this point in time based on what I have not mentioned, but we'll see how surprised you are. Number one, Haken Fauna. Honestly, uh, I don't know. What can I say about this album? I have loved this album since its release. I pretty much knew from the get-go this was going to be a very, very hard album to beat for my favorite of the year, and as it turned out, Despite some coming close, nobody beat it for me. Um, honestly, I think I may have known it before it was even released. If you remember, Nightingale was released as a single over six months before the album dropped. And that in the song was just everything I love about Haken with, you know, some additional touch of jazziness and, and you know, jazz fusion, whatever, courtesy in the keyboards from returning keyboarder Peter Jones. Um, then there's even just the amazing album cover, which for me ranks as one of my all-time favorite album covers already. This is a classic um, to the point that I actually bought artwork from the artist Dan Goldsworthy, which is now hanging here at Progwarts. Um, and then from there, the album just hits all the buttons for me. It's a great collection of distinctive individual songs that all have their own textures or you know twists to them bringing together all the various influences that this band has into one whole, um, whether it's, it's Ross's pop leanings or Charlie's thrash metal roots or the overall dream theater influence foundation that all of this is built upon. It all just comes in there and, and mixes together perfectly and, and still holds on to, both the hard-edged metal side and the playfulness that is Haken. Come on, this is a band that made Muppets for a video. <laughs> made their own Muppets. These guys have fun, and there's a playfulness to so much of what they do, but this really came out on this album, and just all the little details. If you look at all the, the little little Easter eggs and things that are in the album cover, and the fact that the album's got a dapper chimp who needs a name. If he's not been named yet, he needs a name. I, I suggest Giles McIntyre. Moving on from that, but the fact that they all wore matching, similar styled um, Hawaiian shirts on the tour, the, taking the background from the album cover um, to such you know playful metal pop song ditties uh, like "Love Bites," like all along the way, this album is just fun and yet hard edged, serious when it needs to be, never really goofy, but always a little bit playful. 
Uh, the songs are as varied as the wildlife for which the album is named, and yet all of them are easily, distinctly Haken. I just can't imagine something more satisfying for me than this album. Like This is going to be one of my top ones all time, to be perfectly honest. I, I, I've loved this album, and it's nothing I listened to more in the past year than that, and I am honestly completely and utterly jazzed to be able to see them play it live on this upcoming tour in the spring. So there you have it. That's it. There is Dave's top 20 prog albums of 2023. What'd you think? Huh? Am I off base? Uh, were there any egregious omissions uh, for which I need to apologize? You think any egregious inclusions that you think should not have been on a top 20 list anywhere? Let me know in the comments section. Uh, obviously that's what that's for. Uh, for my own part, yeah, you know, I will admit I was a little bit surprised when I finished this up and there were some seriously notable exclusions. And it's not that any of those albums that I listened to, and I listened to 40, 45 albums, um, it just repeating for this, they were all great. They are all great albums. This was not an easy thing to put together. Um, and eventually I had to kind of suck it up and do it, but you know, I couldn't include everyone and that's how it is. But there are plenty of other amazing albums released this past year from bands like pattern seeking animals, mysteries, Neil Morse, uh, the flower Kings periphery, and a very notable one that I know has been dropping onto a lot of these lists this year, sleep token. I have my reasons for all of those. Um, and it's not that I dislike any of them. They are all great and wonderful albums. And there are probably times I'm going to second guess myself even after this is done thinking about what I did and didn't put on. Well, we'll see what happens. Some of them will be showing up on my song of the year video. Yep. We're going to have one of those as well. So brace yourselves. That'll come back, come out very, very soon. But what all this tells me is that this has been a very stellar year for progressive rock and metal. This has been a great, great year with so much to listen to to the point that you just can't keep up with it all. Even when you've got your ear to the ground like myself, and like a lot of other guys, you can't keep up with all of it. And to have uh, an embarrassment of riches, to be able to have more than you can keep up with, I think that's a good thing. I think that is a very good thing. And it bodes well for 2024. So as always, uh, thank you very much for watching. I appreciate your time here. If you'd be so kind, uh, please do the thing with the like and the subscribe and hit the bell if you want to be notified when I put out new stuff. That would be great. Social links are in the description below, uh, as well as this link for my Live 365 channel, The Expanse, featuring all the progressive rock and progressive metal you can possibly handle 24-7. Check it out. You might dig it. As always, don't be afraid to deviate from the norm. Keep it proggy. This is Super Dave, signing off.